Hello, and welcome to the end-of-the-year episode of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. And we're back, after a bit of a hiatus. 2016 has been a pretty busy year, with some amazing events, opportunities I'm tremendously grateful for, coupled with a few less-than-amazing things, and dear losses that have echoed around the world. That said, there have been some pretty fantastic stories since last we spoke, about new technologies, unexplained phenomena, and more. But rather than a year-in-review program, in the limited time we have together here, I'll be going through a few of the more recent events, as we always do, and some highlights here and there, of course. So, without further delay, let's jump right back into the thick of things here with tonight's Paranormal News. If social media is any indication, for many people... 2016 has been a pretty long year, one which some folks can't wait to be over. Unfortunately, I have a bit of bad news for you. They say anything can happen in a second, and we seem to have an extra one this year. The final minute of the final hour of December 31st will be 61 seconds, not 60 seconds long. For countries that use coordinated universal time, This adjustment is designed to offset the time that has been lost due to the planet's slowing rotation. The Paris Observatory, which houses the International Earth Rotation and Reference System Service, said in a statement, that's a lot of S-words, this extra second, or leap second, makes it possible to align astronomical time, which is irregular and determined by Earth's rotation, which UTC, or Coordinated Universal Time, the abbreviation is clearly French, which is extremely stable and has been determined by atomic clocks since 1967. So there you have it. A lot can happen in a second. Light can travel 186,282 miles in a second. We here on Earth alone will travel 18.5 miles soaring through space within that second. So, make your plans now. When the clock strikes midnight, you still have a little bit of time. Next up, Rogue One came out this past month. And if I start talking about that now, it'll take up the whole show. Arguably, the breakout star of the film was this former killbot, K2SO, the reprogrammed Imperial droid, wonderfully voiced by Alan Tudyk, who now works for the Rebels, and whose action figure may be within arm's reach of me here in the studio. But in the real world, we seem to be making contingencies for counteracting threats in the same spirit. The assassin droids and terminators are dangerously real, as this coming year, the United Nations will be addressing the threat posed by sophisticated autonomous weapons platforms, namely, killer robots. Now, last year, a coalition of more than 1,000 technology and industry experts joined forces in demanding that such sinister-thinking machines be banned, something we discussed previously in regards to not just drones, but self-thinking robot combatants. Well, they just may get their wish. Live Science reports, At this month's Convention on Conventional Weapons in Geneva, 123 separate nations voted to start the official discussions on the dangers posed by autonomous weapons, making it possible for formal action to be taken. Campaign co-founder Steve Goose is quoted here about how widespread this issue can be. He says, China's plans for weapons and artificial intelligence may be terrifying, but they're no more terrifying than similar efforts by the U.S., Russia, Israel, and others. He goes on to say the key thing distinguishing a fully autonomous weapon from an ordinary conventional weapon or even semi-autonomous weapon like a drone 
is that a human would no longer be deciding what or whom to target and when to pull the trigger. The weapon system itself, using artificial intelligence and sensors, would make those critical battlefield determinations. This would change the very nature of warfare, and not for the betterment of humankind. Now, having recently rewatched the movie Prometheus, I can't say I totally disagree with Mr. Goose. This is definitely something we'll be following in the coming year. But this does segue nicely into this next item, as well as the Star Wars reference. All right, full disclosure, I love the film. It's going to come up here and there. Here we go. The DOD has recently given us a closer look of a new revolutionary type of prosthetic arm from DARPA. And what did the intrepid scientist decide to call this wonder of modern technology? Luke. Yep, Luke. Of course, they say it stands for Life Under Kinetic Evolution, but let's face it, they're hardly hiding the fact that this is a direct reference to one Luke Skywalker as he was fitted with his shiny new robotic hand, courtesy of a 2-1-B surgical droid, at the end of Empire. They say this new arm is fitted with an array of advanced motors and electronics and has six user-selectable grips, making it possible for the wearer to carry out day-to-day tasks with ease. DARPA has been working on the technology behind the prosthetic limb for eight years, and it is hoped that this will offer a significant quality-of-life upgrade for amputees. DARPA's Justin Sanchez quoted here, The commercial production and availability of these remarkable arms for patients marks a major milestone in the RP program, and most importantly, an opportunity for our wounded warriors to enjoy a major enhancement in their quality of life. Ultimately, we envision these limbs providing even greater dexterity and highly refined sensory experiences by connecting them directly to users' peripheral and central nervous systems. I'll throw up some links in the Facebook page. Looks pretty cool. Now, I want to point out here, we haven't even gotten to the UFO sightings, which are coming later in the show, or any otherworldly topics. But we've already talked about time travel, killer robots, and cyborgs. Not to mention that you're likely listening to my voice through a tiny rectangle in your pocket that you connect to the entire world through. We here, at the end of 2016, live in the future. And for another slice of that future, unintentional segue, in the last story I mentioned China. Well, Popular Science, within the past week, released this story that the country is currently making the claim that they are in the process of actually testing the impossible space engine, or rather, the EM drive, right now on the Tiangong-2 space station. Now, we've talked about this before in the show, and if you listen to this show, you probably check out other news sources that have talked about this sucker. But briefly, the EM drive was first developed back in 2001 by aerospace engineer Roger Scheuer and allegedly works by converting electrical power into thrust without the need for propellant through a process that scientists argue is in direct violation of the laws of physics. Of course, they could perhaps be saying that just to get the title of miracle worker, but I digress. Now, a recent peer-reviewed study has shown that this could potentially work, which brings us back to China, who are basically saying that they have not only managed to test one in a lab, but it's even succeeded in sending one up in space. The news came via an announcement made earlier this month by Dr. Chen Yue, Director of Commercial Satellite Technology for the China Academy of Space Technology. Now, as this article states, the proof-of-concept EM drive is currently aboard the Tiangong-2 space station, where astronauts are carrying out tests to see if they can truly produce thrust in zero-gravity environment. Now, guys, if this thing works, it could potentially send astronauts to Mars 
in 70 days. 70 days. Consider that compared to the current estimate of a full six months, six months and change, I think, to travel just one direction. This is definitely something we're going to be keeping up with. Let's see if they can do it. Now, while we're on that side of the rock, talking sci-fi made reality, a fascinating YouTube video popped up about midway through the month depicting a giant bipedal robot. It looks like something ripped out of Mech Warrior or Macros or Exosquad or whatever you want. It was originally thrown up on Instagram by Vitaly Bulgarov, one of the project's 3D modeling designers. Let me say, my words do nothing right now. You need to check this out yourself. I'll throw some links up on the Facebook page, The Invisible World Show, facebook.com slash The Invisible World Show, uh, to the video. But this is like Pacific Rim level awesome. Method 1, as it's called, is roughly 4 meters tall and features two arms that can be controlled through a direct mapping of the pilot's movements, exactly as you see in animes. The project's being developed by Korea Future Technology. Right now, what can only be described as a mech suit is thought to be intended for industrial use. Even though these are just the early stages of development, you could totally see this thing choking an alien queen. Now, say if the powers that be can just connect those last few stories I spoke about, we'd basically have the lion's share of my favorite sci-fi movies brought to fruition within my lifetime. Moving on to other fictional franchises, this past month, we saw scientists discover an actual dinosaur tail preserved in amber. It's actually the first time a discovery like this happened. Guess what? It was covered in feathers. Giant turkeys indeed, kid. It's from the BBC News. The incredible discovery, which is being hailed as a world's first, has provided scientists with a unique opportunity to study not just a fossil, but an actual piece of dinosaur frozen in time. The specimen, which was found in an amber mine in northeast Myanmar, contains the perfectly preserved tail of a juvenile soalurosaur, a type of theropod dinosaur. Scans of the amber indicate the presence of eight vertebrae from the tail's midsection, along with several delicate feathers, which have been described as brown on the top and white underneath, said study co-author Ryan McKellar of the Royal Saskatchewan Museum in Canada. Says this is the first time we've found dinosaur material preserved in amber. We can be sure of the source because the vertebrae are not fused into a rod or pyga style as in modern birds and their closest relatives. Instead, the tail is long and flexible, with keels of feathers running down each side. The remarkable discovery is undoubtedly one of the most significant paleontological finds in years. And me, I, I just can't imagine anything other than the mighty T-Rex all fluffed up like a parrot. Well, an ex-parrot. Beautiful plumage. It's just full of dad jokes, isn't it? Sticking with unearthing new mysteries, Israel news outlet Haaretz has reported that archaeologists working on behalf of the Israel Antiquities Authority and Israel's Hebrew University have discovered fragments of ancient scrolls believed to be part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The fragments were found in a remote cave found deep within the Judean desert known as the Cave of Skulls because they found skulls there. Now, quick backstory here. The original Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered back in 1947, big year, when a Bedouin shepherd accidentally fell into a cave where the scrolls were hidden. Since then, many more fragments have been found in similar desert caves, most with cool names. Majority of the scrolls were written in Hebrew or Aramaic and contain Hebrew scriptures, 
historical manuscripts, and ancient tribal codes. These new scroll fragments measure just two centimeters square, and unfortunately are too damaged and faded to even tell what language they're in. Hebrew University archaeologist Yuri Davidovich believes these tiny fragments could help researchers piece together the ancient puzzle of the mysterious Dead Sea Scrolls. Discovery of other scroll fragments, hampered by the efforts of looters over the years who have been known to sell similar fragments on the black market. In fact, researchers actually use those black market fragments as evidence for the theory that there might be a lot more of these things somewhere out in the desert, a theory which actually led to the discovery of these new fragments, according to that article. Along with the tiny scroll fragments, archaeologists also found wooden and bone tools, clothing, textiles, needles, and pottery fragments, basically signs of people living there. One of the more interesting finds was a collection of beads wrapped in fabric, one of only three such bundles discovered which date before the Copper Age. But you didn't come here for a bag of beads. Let's talk about some flying saucers. One of the most famous, and for me most fascinating, UFO stories is the Rendlesham Forest incident. It's basically the UK's Roswell. Happening almost exactly 36 years ago this year, the incident actually started on December 26th, a new witness has surfaced. That's right. This former security police officer has come forth talking about his experience, what he witnessed, describing what he saw that night as not of this world. I saw this first on the Inquisitor. Well, first let's go over briefly what happened. It all began December 26th, when U.S. servicemen stationed at RAF Woodbridge witnessed an unknown object descending into the woods. Upon investigating, they encountered a glowing, metallic object which seemed to move through the trees as they approached. When they returned the next day, they found three triangular impressions in the ground at the same spot. Then on December 28th, the object appeared a second time, prompting Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt and a group of servicemen to venture out into the woods to investigate. Now, the testimony of Halt himself has been well documented over the years. In fact, coverage of this whole incident has been the subject of countless books, documentaries, cable TV specials, with some amazing drawings that seem to connect the dots to other cases, some even going back to the early 19th century, as we spoke about here. So, one of the other men who had been with Halt that night has just now come forward to tell his side of the story. Steve Longero, a former USAF security police officer, has spoken out in a recent interview with MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, about what he witnessed. He says, Yes, I was in the forest. I saw the lights, heard the conversations, talked about it, and was told to be quiet. It was hard to take in. Well, from what I remember, the lights, fluorescent lights, kind of a glow, like a reddish glow. While in the forest, he remembered noticing how quiet everything was, despite the commotion, and described how the lights seemed to watch the men as they ventured closer. He also spoke about how he had been told to stop talking about the incident afterwards. Goes on to say personnel were then called in individually and told not to talk about the incident and were told that their silence was important due to the nuclear weapons reportedly housed at the base and were then asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Longaro also played down the suggestion, and this is a common one, that the light had been that of a nearby lighthouse. He says... Not unless the lighthouse could move, jokingly. 
I think it was something not of this world, just because the way it hovered and just the way it disappeared. That's what I think. That's what I've always thought. Now I'll throw a link to the full interview up on the Facebook page so you guys can read for yourself. But that's the meat and potatoes of it. Being such a high-profile case, there have of course been some inconsistencies and variations which we'll have to discuss in depth on a future show. However, the unifying thread here is that something did happen, and that it remains, as yet, unexplained. This merely throws a bit more fuel on the fire. Now shifting over to things that go bump in the night territory, which I guess flying saucers can do, bear with me. A Thai company has released a brand new version of a device they claim to be a ghost repellent. That is right, a ghost repellent. You know, I think I joked about this back in 2010 at the start of the show, but who knows, maybe it works. The company claims this tiny box will rid your residence of unwanted spirits thanks to its specially designed circuitry. According to Super Bondi, the company in question, when you want to rid your home or workplace of negative entities, you simply flip on the switch of the ghost repellent box, which activates a low-level electromagnetic field, condenser microphone, and infrared camera that work in unison to detect paranormal activity, which they call the phenomenon receptor. When the machine detects an anomaly, it automatically fires off a wave killer, that's their term, which is a radio blast that they claim is enough to make the ghost run away. Now back in 2009, the same company released the first model of this product, which they decided not to release publicly, and it got a bit of flack from the paranormal community. So this is actually round two, so to speak. But before you go buying that belated holiday gift, know that this thing's going to set you back about $1,600. So what do you guys think of this? I kind of want feedback on this one. And to you listeners that are into this sort of stuff and are tech-savvy and build your own equipment for investigations and such, do you think you can come up with something like this yourself? Or does the idea simply just not hold a charge? God, I feel like Jonathan Frakes. Let me know in the comment section. Or hit me up on Facebook. But that does bring us nicely into this episode's UFO Roundup. First up, 15 mysterious black helicopters were said to be witnessed flying toward the location of a bizarre UFO sighting. Now, the couple who witnessed this thing said they saw three unusual UFOs in the sky for 15 to 20 minutes while traveling to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Which was their first mistake, based on every Bugs Bunny cartoon I've seen. Enough of that. They claimed the following morning that they saw 15 unmarked black helicopters flying towards that same location. If you're listening to my voice, you probably know this part of the story already. Black helicopters are often reported alongside UFO sightings, being linked to all manner of things, the men in black being one, and more. In their report to MUFON, the unnamed woman said, my husband is a long-haul truck driver, and we were on a run from Washington State to Albuquerque. She said they left the town of Beatty, Nevada, heading south on SR-95. Her report said, I spotted three glowing objects in the west over the hills. My husband pulled over, and we observed the objects just hover over the hills. They stayed at one spot for about 15 to 20 minutes. My husband thought they were military flares. I say that they are UFOs. We took pictures and watched them just hover there the whole time. 
Then they disappeared, without any noise at all. She adds, The next day, outside Boulder City, Nevada, at about 6 a.m., we videoed 15 black helicopters flying in the direction of where we saw the objects the night before. Now, say here, some websites already debunking this story, saying that the objects pictured were just illuminated contrails. I'll throw up the links on the page. You decide for yourself. But it is that timeless pattern and chain of events that persists to this day. And the hits keep on coming. Next up, December 23rd, a Pennsylvania witness at Elverson reported watching a metallic craft moving out of a cloud formation that quickly split into two, where each object then moved away in opposite directions. The witness had just let his dog outside at 7 a.m. on December 19, 2016, from a front porch facing north. Quick quote from the report here, I was sitting on a porch, and I heard this jet sound, just like the gas burner of a hot air balloon. And I looked left, to the west, and I saw this silver-gray circular object come down from this group of clouds. There were no other clouds around, nothing but blue sky, except for this cluster. I love the imagery on that one. Now hopping back a week to December 11th, a Florida witness at Gainesville reported a very large black triangle hovering over a residential area. An interesting thing about this report, which I'm going to include on a further show, is that one of you guys recently sent me a very similar story from not too far away from where this is. We're going to have a listener story episode coming up, so I'll put it in there. There honestly wasn't too much to it. Basically, giant triangle hovering over a neighborhood. But getting back to this one, the witness says that they were returning home from a family dinner that evening when this object was seen hovering about 500 feet above nearby homes. Very similar. It had large, white, solid lights on each of the three corners of the craft and a pulsating red light on what appeared to be the rear. We could actually see framework or something on the side facing us, which indicated it wasn't a smooth surface, but rather a metallic structure. Again, there's that imagery. Now pushing back in time a few days on the 4th, a California witness in Hollywood reported watching a large UFO, the Hollywood Bowl 101 freeway area. The sighting took place at about 2.17 a.m., middle of the night. Quote from that one, I was downtown, Old Hollywood area, near 101 Freeway and Franklin Junction. I pulled my car into the 101 Cafe on Franklin Boulevard, into the back parking lot, which has a 30-degree and up view of a clear night sky, west, north, and east. As I parked my car, I quickly sighted a large, blue-white object in the northwest sky, about 35 degrees up from horizon through my windshield. Now, the neat thing about this, to me, is frequently when we hear a report, the person just happened to look up. Who knows what was above their head the entire time they weren't looking up. Mundane things they might not recognize. Or zeta reticulans that have been there all along. But my point is, and why I like this report, is that the witness was literally angled up to look in that direction, just as this thing appeared in front of them. And for the grand finale here, we're going to go back a month to November 4th, where a witness at Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania, reported watching four triangle-shaped UFOs silently moving just 20 feet over neighboring homes, followed by 20 to 30 star-like objects crossing the sky. The sightings began 
at about 8.20 p.m. when the witness took his two children out for a walk in search of Pokemon hotspots, like you do. From the report, it was a crisp fall night, and for a night sky, the sky was bright and full of stars, with no clouds or precipitation. At approximately 8.20 p.m., we turned and began walking up a street with a slight incline, and my youngest child stopped to catch a Pokemon and had lagged behind. I noticed he was no longer with us, and I turned around to call him to catch up. And right behind him were two huge, black, triangular craft, larger than the houses they were above, flying slowly and apparently twenty feet above the one-story houses across the street and apparently twenty feet away. Now, as an addendum to this story, there was in fact a CP-1000 Lapras there, which, let's face it, not even alien visitors could pass that up. For the full reports on these and more, of course, check out the MUFON reporting database and all the stuff that has pictures and videos. I'll throw that up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow. Now, in researching for this show, there were a slew of other stories, reports, encounter accounts, some more spooky than others, compounded with the emails and messages you guys send me of your own experiences, questions, and so forth. It's enough for a whole year of programming. Which brings me to my point. Starting in 2017... The Invisible World is back, recording on the regular. There have been a lot of things going on this past year. A lot of amazing opportunities that I'm so grateful to have had. And so many amazing folks it's been my absolute privilege to work with. But the show must go on. Additionally, next week I'll be pre-recording a few things for Spectral Retrospective, or Spec Retro as some of you guys are referring to it as, which as someone stuck in the 80s, I kind of dig it. Also, I'm going to be guest host of Reviews from the Shadows, where we'll be talking Rogue One, something I've been itching to do for weeks now. So far as the invisible world this year, expect some pretty intense first-hand accounts. As I mentioned, we have a whole show about that coming up. Some long-overdue event coverage, contests, gonna try that out, as well as the normal bevy of strange news and exciting reports on new technology. But for now, as always, if I might wind things down here with tonight's final thought. As I just mentioned, from time to time, I get emails from you guys about strange occurrences, questions, and things of the like, mostly involving what we commonly refer to as ghosts. I also hear stories about seemingly strange coincidences, moments of synchronicity that, while left up to interpretation, are definitely hard to dismiss. And I'll say the recording of this very episode was no stranger to weird coincidences, but more on that in a future program. We all look for answers. We look for solace in this crazy world we live in. And it's been one crazy year to be living in it. I don't have any real answers, not in any sort of definitive way. Not in the sense of commonly held truths. In fact, the very inception of this program back in 2010 was to sort of help people be okay with admitting not knowing something. To say that we're all in the same boat. And also that it's possible those mysteries may well be connected as part of that invisible world we can't quite put our finger on. But that said, I would like to believe that we are all connected in some way. Call it spirit, call it love, however you get there, by whatever avenue you get there through. I want to believe there's something more, something mysterious, something wonderful and enduring that gives us the comfort of knowing that when you boil it down, we are all the same. 
So keep sharing your stories with each other. Stay kind. And let's make 2017 amazing. And with that, thanks to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. Thanks to Terry over at the Paranormal A Radio Network and all the other outlets that rebroadcast this program. Shout out to the lovely Jack Dukens, half of Spirits and Spirits, also coming back. And thanks to everyone I've had the honor and privilege of working with this past year. If you are in the New York City area and still looking for something to do this New Year's Eve, I will be in the New Year's show at the People's Improv Theater, yelling from the booth, making up the music, lighting up the lights, and then hanging out at the Love Bar out front to ring in the New Year. I just heard that there's going to be piano karaoke at the bar, so there's that. I'll throw up the info in the show notes. I'd also like to dedicate this episode to all of the amazing, inspirational people that we've lost over this past year, in every discipline, in every area, and to their friends, family, and everyone whose lives they touched. Thanks again to everyone here, and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Todaro, reminding you to be good to each other, and keep looking forward.